their secret mountain lair somewhere in Colorado, this is the Image Doctors Photography Podcast with your hosts, Jason O'Dell and Rick Walker. Welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. It's good to have you back with us. It's good to have you here, Rick. Uh, what is new and exciting in your world? Not a whole lot new, but you know, one reminder for people. Um, later this week, um, we'll be doing a special presentation for Nikonians. We've mentioned it, mentioned it in prior podcasts. So take a look on their website. Um, sign up if you're uh, I think you have to be a silver member and hopefully listen in on it and it'll also be available later on it'll be on um, some of our travel photography thoughts some of which our listeners have heard some of which they haven't so yeah I think there will be some plus we got pictures stuff in it we do lots of pictures so that'll be fun yeah Um, so that's like yeah live live zoom webinar I I think it's zoom but live webinar um, on the evening of uh, January 27th coming up. So mm-hmm. very good. Um, I guess I've had more excitement the last week than you have. <laughs> I figured I'd let you talk me- about that. Messing with things. <laughs> but you know, we alluded to last week, there was a pretty good chance that the, that I would have a Z9 in my hands for my San Diego birding workshop, which I just got back from, um, which is probably partially why we didn't drop this podcast sooner, because uh, yep. we wanted to be able to talk about this. And sure enough, I got the Z9 in my hands, and I was able to get it set up and uh, mess with it. Um, and we both went out and we, I mean, we went out and shot together before my trip. So you got to see it as well a little bit. Um, and then um, I used it exclusively for my birding workshop, which was absolutely fun. We had great weather, um, good group of people with me, and we all came back with a lot of good shots, um, expressive shots, flight shots, um, all kind of good colors, lots of lots of good stuff. I had a very happy group um, when we uh, left there. Of course, there was also a few people who wanted a Z9 when we were done, but that's a different story. Yeah. Do you want to just go through some of the highlights of the Z9? Yeah, I mean, we talked about the product announcement. Um, there, there's really sort of, without going into the weeds, there's three big things about the Z9, one of which is the size, right? That's the biggest thing. <laughs> the, the, the size, it's a, it's a pro grip vertical, integrated vertical grip camera. So it's not small. Um, and that's either a pro or a con, depending on which, where, where you're coming from. It's smaller than a gripped D850 and certainly smaller than a D5 or a D6, but it's much larger and heavier than a Z6 or 7. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind. But the big thing is that this is the first Nikon that uses true honest to God 3D tracking focus as well as subject detect focus uh, more than just people and dogs and cats. Um, subject detection is something we've been talking about for a decade, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. literally. Um, it, and it's finally showing up in ways that that we can use it effectively. Um, and then, you know, to go with that is it not only just enhanced autofocus performance, because it's very, very good with lo- you know, low light detection. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that it has is a, a no mechanical shutter whatsoever. So 
it relies entirely on electronic shutter, which in the past wasn't really feasible for fast frame rates because you run into those rolling shutter artifacts. So Nikon is able to deliver all the way up to 20 frames per second with an electronic shutter with no strange, weird artifacts. And if you have a camera that has both, what you'd find like with the Z6s or the Z7s or cameras that you might not be able to use the electronic shutter for the fastest frame rates. Uh, you, you would have to use a mechanical shutter to, to achieve that. Otherwise, you get strange artifacts in your shooting. Um, those are the heavy things. I mean, those are the big things. And there's lots of nuance and detail that I can go into. But, you know, I'll make a very short, I'll make it short and sweet. The autofocus acquisition of the Z9 compared to any other camera that I've used, and full disclosure, I've not used the Sony's or the Canon's or even the Nikon D5 and D6, but holy cow, does it acquire. If you can find a subject in your viewfinder, it will nail it almost instantly, and it will stay on that subject. So that's fantastic. Um, and we'll talk more about the ways in which it does that later, but the acquisition speed is glorious. Um, yeah. No. You know, we've sort of mentioned a little bit, but it was kind of quick and we didn't make a big deal of it. But I've owned an R5, a Canon R5 for more than a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so when we talk about this, you know, in the, the autofocus in particular, although there are similarities in other areas too, um, we'll do a little bit of both because I think it's, you know, at least what I've seen is, you really appreciate these features a lot with wildlife, but there are other times that they show up. So they, they can show up mm -hmm. in more common situations as well. Um, but, you know, things I've shot with the R5 when I went up to Yellowstone and the Tetons, that's what I used, you know, for a lot of wildlife photography and things like that. When we were in Panama doing the birding stuff, I used it there and, and Mount Evans with pikas mm -hmm. and, and marmots, I used it there. And you know, one of the things I've found is that that eye detection feature really can just free you up a lot for composition, thoughts, things like that. It's not necessarily something that dramatically changes your keeper rate if you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't conclude that if you don't have these features, you're lost in terms of wildlife stuff. No, but they're very nice. They're no. very nice. They're very solid. Once you have them, you don't want to get rid of them. <laughs> right. Right. So Nikon has a pretty nice implementation of the subject tracking and subject tracking includes body, like with animals or people is body, face, eye, right? It goes body, mm -hmm. head, eye. Um, and you can see it as, as the, we'll talk about that, but you can see it as it, first it grabs a body. And, and, and it will show you a, an air, depending on your mode, it'll show you the area in which it's detecting. And then if you hit the AF on or your shutter, um, the, the focus will switch to that point. And then you can see it sort of get smaller and smaller boxes as it dials down to an eye from a head. Um, and that's, that's very cool. I mean, there were ships out there and in San very Diego. Very similar, very similar. Yeah, it finds the, the ship, then the it others. finds the superstructure of the ship and it locks on the antennas of the ship. I mean, there was Navy ships out there. So mm -hmm. in, interesting stuff. But um, Nikon's implementation is pretty good. Uh, you can get this auto subject detect in four different focusing modes so no longer are you stuck with just the auto area focus but you can get it in auto area you can get it in um, wide area small 
wide area large. And what those do is it constrains the it, it constrains the the camera to looking more or less around the little box that it's defined, not not inside it, but around it. Um, it and biases then, it right it, that area. It will still find heads yeah. and and things outside of the box. And then lastly, they've added the three D the true three D subject tracking mode. And I like this mode a lot. And frankly, this is what you know it's implemented the way it ought to have been you know from the beginning but but we never got it with with uh, the mirrorless cameras which is it starts off as a single point you put that single point on an object and it just stays locked onto that object now if it detects an animal a face a bird or a plane it it will then switch to that it'll give you the choice of detecting that and then it will stay locked on that subject and this is great for when you're trying to recompose and keep you know composing a portrait of a bird where the head is moving it just keeps your focus point and to your point rick it's not that you couldn't do this before with the other ways but the other way the other cameras that don't have the subject tracking or one that's sophisticated subject tracking meant that you were forced to continuously move your focus point around in the viewfinder with a joystick and then this takes brain processing cycles away from thinking about composition. You're thinking more about keeping your focus point on the subject. Right. Now, one of the first things that you did, and then we, we both did it together, is we, we got tickets to the local zoo mm -hmm. just to try out the Z9 on a wide range of animals, which is one of the nice things you can do at the zoo. They're not moving super fast, but still you've got some of the challenges that you have with wildlife photography. And I brought, brought along the R5 and mm -hmm. we were shooting with similar, similar lenses. And so we were able to kind of compare notes in real time. What were we seeing? When did we see the two cameras switching from head or face detection to eye detection? Were there any little interesting anomalies that popped up? Mm -hmm. And to me, that was really interesting they behaved incredibly similar to the yeah. point where I would swear they have the same algorithm. <laughs> yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, there was no significant, you know, I would say, okay, it's on the eye now. And you're like, yep, that's when, <laughs> you know, like that's right when moment. mine switched. And exactly. There was, there was a thing on one giraffe where um, the Z9 caught a bright spot, I think on the nose or whatever. Yeah, I thought a nose thought it was, was an not, eyeball. And, and at the same identical time, that's what I was seeing on the R5. Yeah. It jumped to the nose. Which so, tells you the, there's these algorithms are, are, are similar and neither of them, none of them are perfect. You know, and none, none of them are bad either. They're no, all they're all pretty, very good, but none of them are Pretty damn perfect. good, actually. Um, so, what I would conclude. So yeah, we had a, a, a that, that was a fun, you know, that was tough light. It was early morning. It was morning. It was mm -hmm. super bright, just very directional contrast, crazy. And I think both cameras handled themselves very nicely. Um, and I was using the new 100 to 400 lens as a way of testing. Mm -hmm. um, I was using a 100 to 500. That's kind mm -hmm. of the equivalent. In a way. And, and I had an excellent experience with that, both at the zoo and down with birds. Um, in fact, um, the 100 to 400 with the 1.4 teleconverter, uh, which you were kind enough to loan me, uh, was outstanding. Like, I didn't feel like I was getting a penalty in autofocus. Maybe if I had compared it and done some scientific tests, maybe there were some things. But um, for, you know, spending a week down in, in San Diego 
quickly I figured out the difference between my previous trips there with different equipment, um, including DSLRs um, and this trip. And, and this was, I really got more keepers with flight shots where the focus was on the head or the body of the bird instead of a wing because I didn't have to use the, the equivalent of group or wide area AF, which is a great way of a, uh, acquiring a subject, but it is biased to the nearest subject. Now that's fine at distance, but as your subject gets closer and you want to discriminate between a wing and a head or, you know, or a body, sometimes that, that those group modes will grab the, you know, the wing, which is nearer to you if the bird is, you know, mm -hmm. flying um, if you're, if you're perpendicular to it. Um, so, I mean, that, that was a nice thing. I saw more keepers where the focus was in the right place, not that it was out of focus. And I could count on one hand, the number of times that I had, you know, poor focus, I, I wasn't throwing away a lot of shots for being totally off. That was, right. that was amazing. Uh, you know, and, and there were some subjects that I know I would have, would not have photographed with the Z62 or even my D850, like turns, which are flying around erratically. I mean, I was able to grab onto them, even using auto area AF, the camera figured out there was a bird there and it grabbed it and boom, there it was. We had an osprey fly overhead carrying a fish in its talons. I just caught it out of the corner of my eye. I had enough time to go up and not only acquire the focus, but because I was set to like, I don't know, 15 frames a second, I fired off 10 or 10 or 12 frames and most of them came out fine. Um, the ones that didn't, it was because they were cropped too tightly. And I was cutting off a wing or something. Right. So there were times when I definitely could say that I would not have gotten certain shots had I not had the Z9. Right. Straight up or certain kinds. Um, but I also would point out that my clients, none of whom had Z9s, all came away with shots they enjoyed. And they. You, you want to keep all these features and stuff in perspective. Mm -hmm. No. And in fact, um, I can talk about some of the features that are, I mean, I, I would say if you don't shoot fast action, you know, sports, wildlife for a living, you don't need those features. They're nice, but they're not, they're not, oh my gosh, I have to have them. Um, they will make your life very happy, but, but you could be just fine. If, if all you had was a camera, like what we've been using for our travel photography, you know, those other things are, are nice things, but they're not, going to keep you from getting the shots that you want. I mean, they really aren't. Um, the Z9 is about speed and autofocus tracking and, and autofocus um, acquisition. And th those things are wonderful things to have, but they're much more important for this kind of photography where you don't have a lot of time and you have to catch action at a peak moment and, and you don't want to be waiting. Um, you know, I, I could certainly make an argument for having that. Um, I do have a small list of things that I found that I really did enjoy, but these are, these are littler things, not about the performance of the camera, but just nice things. Mm -hmm. um, um, one is that the Z9 has built-in GPS. That's a great feature, very much welcome. Uh, because it's a larger body, again, that you know, means different things to different people, depending on which side of that coin you're on. It has a lot of extra function buttons, meaning you can configure those buttons and customize them very uh in, in very unique ways like lots of different much more diversity of functions than what the z6 and 7 have 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a custom button set to just pull up an entire bank of shooting settings. And I could hit that and it would do everything. And I had lens function buttons set to change my autofocus pattern from the wide area mode to just the 3D tracking mode or you know to, to toggle back. Worked great because I could acquire subject with one focusing mode and then seamlessly keep the, my finger on the AFM button switch to the standard 3D tracking mode to follow the, the subject around the frame. Now, let's pause for a second there. Because sure. I, I think that's a big thing. Oh, it's a huge thing is being able to acquire focus one way, let's say traditional single point thing to get camera approximately at the right distance, pointing to the right area, and then switch over. Mm -hmm. That's something I've used on the R5 for a long time. And it really does help you improve your keeper rate. It just jump starts the camera. It also makes switching between the modes is so easy yeah and there are times when you want to switch modes i mean in fact you can make the argument there are times you want to switch out of the smart the quote-unquote ai mode and into a, a dumber mode because if you've got a group of three birds in the frame the camera doesn't always know which one you want no and so the switch to a more traditional dynamic or group pattern might make more sense um, so my recommendation for new z9 owners is if you haven't set up some configuration like that, there are different ways of doing it. Um, Maybe we can talk about those in future episodes, but you certainly should do it. Yeah, there's lots of things. I'm going to be putting together a compending of my settings once I figure them all out, because I was going back and forth with lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, then there's some some features which are just nice. And these are ones which I would love for Nikon to flow down into their other cameras, like, you know, including more customization options for the function buttons. Um, That's really great. Um, Some of the choices in the Z6 and 7 are limited right now, and I would like to see those added. But like being able to change autofocus mode, whether it's just the area or even area plus activate AF, that's a great feature. So you hit the button, it does both of those things simultaneously. Um, One thing I really am enjoying is the the new well the finally getting it right uh, uh virtual horizon i mean mm-hmm. other manufacturers like fuji have had this forever where it's just mostly a thin line that goes across the viewfinder mm-hmm. so it's not that distracting giant circle in the middle of your frame uh, but more importantly nikon has added the ability for you to customize each of the display panels as you toggle through the evf or the lcd with the with the overlays that you want. So you're not right. stuck with a a, a a canned configuration. If you want grid lines and a histogram and that's it, then that's you can make that. If you want nothing in your image except maybe the, maybe all you want is the shooting information on the bottom of the screen and everything else empty, you can do that. That's a really nice thing. Um, and if Nikon are listening, hey, put that in a firmware update because that would, you know, those are things that make the cameras nicer to use. And when we get down to it, you know, we're talking about features that make the camera nicer to use. It makes the user experience more enjoyable. Um, You know, those are things that, um, that, you know, all these features are really doing same with your, same with the Sony, same with the Canon, you know, they're all, they all have similar things um features that make your life 
more you can focus more on the aesthetic rather than the technical this is a an important thing it the shooting style is different one thing that i don't think we've talked about so far with the z9 but it's also true with the r5 in a little bit different way has to do with the perceived refresh rate of the viewfinder mm, with the z6 and 7 it was a little bit slower and if you were trying to track something was moving quickly it would be kind of jumpy at times mm -hmm. right yeah Whereas with the Z9, the R5, it's very smooth and, and much easier to do. And, and I think with the Z9, it's even better because you don't have any periodic blackout. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. Um, so I set my Z9 to use an audio shutter sound, an audible click, um, as well as you can set the viewfinder in a couple of different ways from either doing nothing or to have a, where it makes a blackout. Mm -hmm. or where it makes little lines appear on the frame. And, and I found the, for me, the audio was, was fine and I just fire away. Um, but that viewfinder doesn't black out. And my goodness, the, the step up from trying to use the high speed extended mode in a Z6 or Z7, which frankly, I find to be one of the most annoying things about that camera. It was just almost unusable. Um, to go no blackout whatsoever, you just follow your subject. Combine that with the camera doesn't blackout, so autofocus tracking stays on the subject the whole time. Like I said, my keeper rate was um, stupid. It, my keeper rate in terms of what I would have considered keepers in the past was stupidly good. Okay. Mm. It's the combination of those features that really enables that, right? Yeah. It's not just great autofocus tracking, but it's being able to see it, compose it, um absolutely all of those things together A absolutely and then you know on top of that um and you kind of alluded to this it's 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 interesting nikon's viewfinder when you when people look at the specs they say well it doesn't have as many dots and blah 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 i i don't re regardless of the spec i will just say the evf and the z9 is wonderful it's very very nice i mean you look through it too and it's yeah, a very I nice evf yeah, it, it's a very nice um, view through there. Um, you know, we've kind of mentioned this before, the Canon and Sony's have higher specs, but a lot of that doesn't necessarily play out when you're shooting. It's more for playback or things like that. I thought the Z9 viewfinder looked wonderfully clear and nice and bright. The other thing is I, I thought the handling was very good it's while it's heavier and a little bit bulkier mm -hmm. it's it's shaped really well it's very comfortable to use it has that nikon ergonomics that mm -hmm. most of us who have shot nikon for a long time appreciate um it, it's just easy to deal with and and um you know a few little other other things um you know regardless of the specs on the viewfinder the bottom line was i enjoyed looking through it so as far as i was concerned i didn't really care like whether how many dots i have what well, i want to see if i can see the subject yeah um and and i could uh, no no issues and again auto focusing with a combo at f8 which was the 100 to 400 plus the 14 tc at maximum distance i was getting shots that would be almost impossible with with my d850 even when the coots mm -hmm. came running and the ducks were you know we throw food out to them uh and and see them but at the end of the day um yeah uh, you know we could talk about all the different features in the z9 
90% of that camera functions like the other Nikon Z cameras. Excellent sensor, excellent image quality, the same general ergonomics that you would come to expect. The real discriminator from that is, is really, do you need those fast frame rates? Um, one. Um, and then I would say the subject detection stuff, you know, that's what I want in every future Nikon camera. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm a Nikon shooter, that's what I'm asking Nikon to, to give me. Um, because because it just... makes the shooting experience more pleasurable. Yeah. Having used a camera with those kind of features for a while now, I'll, I'll say it a little bit stronger. Nikon damn well better get some of that autofocus technology in their mid-range cameras yeah. pronto. I agree with you. I you can't just have a Z9 with it that you know works no. wonderfully. You've got to spread that out. The they've the, got to do that. What what is a shame right now is the Z9 is so good, it makes the Z72 and Z62 look like, you know way previous generation cameras it makes them feel and they're wonderful cameras i mean i are, you know they are great keep, cameras but in the perspective in it. in the perspective of what else is out there not to mention what the competition has but that's a different different topic right. but but let me just you know you had a question on there I and mean, we were talking about this in terms of the experience the shooting experience you know some people like shooting with a large format camera because it makes them slow down and you know the process mm -hmm. of shooting I will just say the shooting experience with this trip, with the birds particularly, became less about figuring out how to focus on my subject and more about composition. Which is a wonderful thing. Right. And I, and I didn't have to worry about, oh, shoot, the subject changed direction. And now it's going, instead of going from left to right, it's going from right to left. And I need to move my viewfinder point, you know, my focus point over to the right side of the, oh, but now it's moved over the other side again. And you can never keep up, right? Nope. 3D tracking with subject tracking, boom, it was amazing. And it just did this stuff. And so when I went down and I was calling out, you know, the downside of shooting at 15 or, you know, plus, you know, 12 plus frames a second is you got to be really selective with what you're shooting because you can really come back with way too many photos to look through. And my first shoot, which I admittedly was deliberately, you know, I was putting the camera through its paces, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was being very indiscriminate with my shooting, you know, right. and I came back with 2,600 frames or something silly like that. And I quickly discovered that, you know what, most of these are in focus or very close to it. So that they were, they were what you would call acceptably sharp, if not critically sharp, right? Mm -hmm. And it completely changed my approach to triage and culling. So instead of just going through and looking at 100% to figure out which shots were sharp, I just and looked then at figuring out which ones you liked of those. Right. Because it's always a two-step process, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, at least for action shots. You know, you want, you want focus and you want composition. I found myself just keeping the ones that I figured, well, if this one is sharp, that's the composition I like. The wings are up. The bird is in the frame in a right way. And, you know, 85% of the time they were in acceptably sharp focus. And uh, I was happy with that. So I, I really, I, uh, and then I got more selective in what I was, was shooting. Um, and, and for those who might ask, you know, what about memory cards? I'll just bring this up too. I'm still shooting with XQD cards, which are the previous, you know, generation. The Z9 will take 
um, the CF Express cards, and some people are making a huge thing about you have to have the fastest card, blah, 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 blah. No, you don't need the fastest card. Here, here's what I saw. If you want to be able to shoot continuously forever until your card fills up at 20 frames a second, you need the fastest card. <laughs> but I certainly would not recommend that. <laughs> so, so I was having a conversation with a friend of ours who, who also has a Z9 and ha has one of those cards. And, you know, we were, we were uh, texting back and forth. And uh, I said, well, let me just do a quick, a quick check to see what's going on. And with the Z9, with, and I'm using, a, you know, an older Lexar. It was the faster spec XQD card. So it's, you know, the 440 megabit, mm -hmm. megabyte per second cards. With 10 or 12 frames a second, I could pretty much shoot continuously. You know, it wasn't going to be a problem. At 15 frames a second, I could get about 150 frames or about 10 seconds worth of shooting, mm -hmm. continuous shooting before it filled up or before it didn't fill up, it just starts slowing down. Mm -hmm. And at 20 frames a second, I got three seconds. I got 60 frames and then it slowed down to 10 frames per second as it was filling up the buffer. None of those situations are what I would encounter in reality with the way I shoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My longest burst of ducks landing, you know, flying and stuff were maybe 25 to 26 frames. That was it. Um, and do you really want to come back with 8,000 frames from an afternoon to have to go through those? Sure, maybe, but I don't. To me, what makes the most sense are shorter bursts that span the behavior that you're interested in, then you stop. Right, right. Now, I will say in the past, shorter bursts helped you keep your autofocus tracking. Your camera would be less likely to lose focus because it didn't have to implement predictive tracking mechanisms. And right. with the Z9, it doesn't black out. So it is continuously reading focus data as you're shooting, which is amazing and yeah. quite nice. <laughs> so. I mean, I think if you can get your hands on a Z9, if that's the kind of thing you were going to do, um, yes, do it. Um, the downside is that it's bigger, it's heavier, it's almost three pounds by the time you put the battery in there. That's not a lightweight body anymore. Uh, and it's $5,500 in the US. Um, I think it's priced incredibly well against its clear competitors, you know, its obvious competitors. And I think it specs out and holds its own against those competitors. Um, but if you're looking for a mid-range enthusiast camera, you've got a different problem on your hands. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. You can read between the lines <laughs> with what you said earlier, right? Right. So, but it is, in a, it is a wonderful camera. And I, I'm, I'm very happy that I got to use it for this trip because the, the, the shots that I came back with were just tremendous. Um, more more keepers of different stuff than I would have had in previous years. I will just say that it was one of the rare times where the camera really did make me better. Right. Very um, cool. Yeah, it's fun stuff, and uh, we'll have more on that. I'm um, sure we will. But uh, in the meantime, um, we we um, should probably shut up, right? <laughs> I think it's about time. Okay. Well, we hope to see some of you guys out there on uh, the Nikonians um, webinar. Uh, live webinar this this week on the 27th and we would love to get some feedback or we will be happy to answer to your questions if you got questions about the z9 send me a note on our facebook page and i will do my best to answer those questions because obviously there's a ton of stuff that you can go into that we didn't even touch with this podcast 
All right. Sounds good. Okay. Until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.